Welcome back to part two of the Texas Washington Sugar Bowl deep dive with my friend and deep thinker, philosoph, Scott Gerlach, the man I call the alpaca. You know why I call you the alpaca, Scott? I mean, I was hoping that I would avoid sort of the, the alpaca moniker. I thought it had been long enough that maybe people wouldn't remember, but I'm glad you reminded them because now everyone will know. Well, one, it is important that you keep the moniker. Two, <laughs> uh, alpacas are furry and lovable, which you are. Uh, also, when I was in Peru, I got to see a bunch of alpacas firsthand up close. And you could be at 16,000 feet. And the alpaca is implacable, calm, assured. You look into their eyes, there's no, there's no concern. There's no, they got this. So the alpaca is is not an insult. I know you'd prefer to be called the lion or El Tigre or the Jaguar, but that's that's also my, that's my friend Ian Boyd because of his I mean machismo and physicality. Alpacas. The alpaca is also well known for their understanding of offensive line scheme. So that's true. Also, an fits. alpaca, much like a camel, can kick in every direction. Did you know that? <laughs> can Horses they kick can straight only... up, Paul. Uh, yes. Horses can only kick backwards. A camel can kick you sideways. Pretty awesome. Also like camels, uh, they'll spit on you if you piss them off. Yes. Yeah, I, I won't try to match you in terms of, uh, Rare, uh useless lesser, trivia. lesser known facts. Yeah. <laughs> lesser known facts is a nice descriptive. Well, <laughs> Scott and I have an ambition to give you some of the lesser known, but important salient facts for this upcoming matchup. Mm -hmm. If you haven't listened to part one, you should probably do that before listening to part two. But my guess is you could probably listen to this in any order and still get something from it. Scott, we have prepared some questions. And by we, I mean you. Uh, I want you to read off the question and let us begin our deep dive on this matchup. Yeah. So last time, I feel like we started to get a sense of some of the problems that each team presents for the other. Um, but I want to talk a little bit, I wanted to hit on one thing more specifically with that. So if we think about for each team, what offensive personnel package do you think will be the hardest for the other team to match up with? That's a great question. I'm going to give you a little bit of an a-hole answer. I think there's, I can name more packages that Texas does routinely that will give them problems than not if we execute it correctly out of that package. Um, but I think there's two in particular that we've gravitated towards that give us the best matchups. Mm. And that's 21 personnel and 11 personnel. And mm. I'll give you my thoughts on why. 21 personnel, for those of you who don't uh, know, it's two running backs, one tight end. So the two, all, the, the number in front when you refer to a personnel package is the number of backs. Uh, the one is the number of tight ends. So if we're talking about 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. 10 personnel, one back, no tight ends, four wide, right? Et cetera, et cetera. So I have fallen in love with our 21 personnel package of late because of the way we use it to attack, particularly to the flats, which is the point and the observation that Scott made in the first podcast of, of one of the great evolutions in this offense over the course of the season. And I really like it when we've got Jaden Blue or Keelan Robinson out there as part of that package. Um, I just think it puts a lot of pressure on people. I think the extra back creates a lot of misdirection. And I think we're great at play action out of it. You know, frankly, that's a preferred throw deep uh, package along with our 12 personnel that Sark uses. Very common Sark tactic, play run, play run personnel, throw the ball. Conversely, play pass personnel, run the ball, right? Uh, you know, not splitting the atom, but the way Sark does it is pretty elegant. The reason I like 11 is pure basic football. I really like Xavier Worthy, Jatavian Sanders, uh, 
Adonai Mitchell and Jordan Whittington all sharing the field because it puts an immense amount of pressure on a defense. And look, if you've got a stud corner and you think you can take away Xavier Worthy or Adonai Mitchell, or you're interested in double teaming them, that's fine. But you're talking about the fourth receiving option in that package is Jordan Whittington. Jordan Whittington's pretty good. <laughs> like, you know, uh, that's a pretty good football player. Uh, he's not on the level of Worthy, Sanders, or, or, or Mitchell, but that's the fourth dude in that package. And that's pretty good. He's a number two receiver at most college on most college football teams, right? So I just love the simplicity of that package because of the pressure that the personnel put on the defense. And that often, at least in my lazy opinion, I haven't researched this totally, but it's my impression. That is the personnel package where defenses most have to choose their poison by personnel or alignment. Because if they play a nickel, two safeties deep, we can run the ball. If they choose to play sort of a more uh, pressure-oriented package, God help them if they don't get to Quinn. Because this is the potential for an eight-yard pass to become 60 yards. So anyway, that's my long-winded answer. What about you? So partially agree. And uh, so agree on 21. And similarly, I have fallen in love with that package lately. Um, whereas I, you know, when we were, everyone was talking pony package, I sort of rolled my eyes um, in part because, you know, I think typically two back implies using misdirection in the run game to create advantages, which tends to work better if you're running your quarterback. So I didn't necessarily feel like it was a great fit for Sark's offense. But because of the intimidation that Mitchell and Worthy create in terms of pushing back the safeties through their alignments, uh, that ability to have a back who can be a running threat, but who can also be a complete receiving mismatch against box personnel I think it makes that package really difficult to cope with right now. What's tough about 21 personnel is I think it's hard to build a robust game plan from only 21 personnel. It's more like something you want to go to in you want to build one or two tight packages around. And so I see it as a specialty, but I see it as a specialty that really could hurt Washington because frankly, I think their pursuit to those underneath feedbacks is going to be a tough thing. We talked a lot a little bit about that. And also I think their linebackers might struggle in speed matchups. Um, I like 12 personnel for this matchup as well. Um, you know, last time we talked a little bit about the defensive lines in a pack 12 and how they tend to have these pluggers inside that aren't real mobile and then speed rushers. Washington is one of those defensive lines. Um, and where Texas has faced a lot of big odd fronts in their conference, where Jatavian Sanders or JT Sanders and um, Gunnar Helm have kind of struggled as extra blockers to create movement in the box in the box. They've, they've been capable blockers at times, but at times they've really lost those physical matchups. I think they have the potential to win those matchups at times in this game. And so if we can run from 12 using gap plays to knock out those defensive ends, that could be a real problem for, for Washington. Um, so I'm, could, I'm really could... glad you added that addendum of a gap play. So what Scott's referring to is Typically counter tray, but we've got a different versions. Pin and pull, by the way, I think we're going to see in this game. But the counter tray is where I, I love that play. I mean, when in, when I was in high school, that was sort of our staple. And if you execute it well, it's it's awesome. It's a symphony. But you're pulling the backside guard and tackle while the play side guard and tackle are blocking down with the center. Okay. And then you're leaving the defensive end unblocked. So the defensive end comes crashing down hard. It effectively becomes a sweep, okay? Your job as the lead guard 
is to now turn that you 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 basically impact that crashing defensive end, and then you kind of turn so he can't bounce out. Okay. If that defensive end holds his ground and kind of stands there with his shoulder square and, and kind of looks like I'm going to see what develops here, your guard needs to plant his face mask right in that guy's chest and drive him. At the very minimum, screen him. Then your tackle is going to pull up right behind. If you guys saw Kelvin Banks commit felony assault in the Oklahoma State game, that came on a counter gaps play where Kelvin Banks was pulling up on a, on a small, on a safety, coming up and run support. Uh, and that's the potential of that play. When the play is executed that way, you're actually running almost the, the, if you start looking at where the play began, you're almost sometimes the running back is running right where the center was at the snap of the ball. So it's an interior run. So in counter gaps, it can be hard to get a clean read on that as a linebacker or safety because that running back can kind of pop up in different places. And that's why I, I frankly love Jaden Blue and, and Keelan Robinson running that play. Um, here's Blue why- Blue in particular, I just would add, has shown a really good job of kind of running under control. Yes. Deep, and then uh, getting on the right side of blocking. Here's where I don't like 12 in the running game and the passing game. When we run zone concepts and when we use our tight ends and pass protection, I don't like using tight ends and pass protection unless it's like sort of as a little personal protector for the quarterback to pick up garbage, like a blitzing corner. Because tight ends aren't good at pass blocking. <laughs> and honestly, when you use them to help double team sometimes, you end up with both guys kind of not working very well in concert, right? Um, and Braylon Trice is the best, most physical player on the Washington defense, the edge. He's 6'4", 270, and he's incredibly physical. And when we used our tight ends to pass protect against him in the Alamo Bowl, we gave up two hits on Ewers, a sack, and I think a pressure. And it was it blew my mind. It really pissed me off. I think we'll learn from that. But that is built into our system that when we're in 12 and we do the play action deep ball, which we do from 12, the tight end is often assigned to their edge. And Washington will fight for that matchup because they think Braylon Trice will pick Gunnar Helm or Jay Taven Sanders up and throw him into Quinn. Uh, and in zone blocking, your tight end, their job is to try to hook the outside shoulder of that, that edge. Braylon Trice will drive either one of our tight ends about six yards into the backfield. So I like it for man gap blocking schemes. I, I want us to be careful about that matchup when we're running zone. And that's, that's a fair call out because if you are sort of one dimensional in your blocking approach from a look, it tends to maybe garner you a few plays, but then that well dries up pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and I agree on Trice. One thing I would note about him is he has a tendency sometimes to jump around blocking as opposed to taking it on. Um, and that can get you in trouble on gap plays uh, if, if you don't take on that blocker. Let, let me refine that a little bit. I, I can't pretend that I've watched every Washington game, but I've watched four now. Uh, a couple of them I kind of speed watched, like, let me go through play and anything interesting, anything interesting. No, no, no. Whoa. What was that? Right. Uh, I've seen him try to evade bigs when he gets matched on a tight end or a running back. He bullies yeah. him. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, also he's not a very good pass rusher, like a conventional pass rusher. He just has a bull rush. So if you can handle the bull rush and straight up, like there's a reason Washington only had 19 sacks as a team. However, he's pretty good at T and E stunts. Mm -hmm. uh, he's not using really his quickness there, although he's a quick, he's going to be a, like a second round, probably NFL draft pick, maybe late first. Uh, but what I notice is when he's on the move, he's just twitchy. He might be the, he and Muhammad, the cornerback are the only two guys on the Washington defense. I describe as twitchy. Yeah, I think that's fair. And so when he gets a little running start on the TE stunt, I've seen him blow up guards, like 
40 pounds bigger than him and just, you know, fall into the quarterback. So anyway, that's, that's an interesting thing to, to consider on that. Um, do we have, do we have another question, sir? We do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, last time we talked a little bit about some of the challenges of trying to defend Washington's passing game. Um, and I know one of the things that we, Oh wait, we, we maybe skipped the flip side here, which is like, uh, what personnel package from Washington do we think is the biggest problem for Texas? We should hit on that. Uh, great, great question. So Washington's actually very versatile. Uh, people tend to think that, oh, they're all out wide and it's no, no, actually they have two tight ends. They play those two tight ends quite a bit. Again, yep. We pointed out in the first podcast, Sark and DeBoer share a lot of DNA in their play calling, even though they came up from different coaching schools. Uh, but there is a, there's a West Coast spread BYU kind of synthesis that occurred. There's like a mind map happening here. Yeah, and and DeBoer and Sark, you can see their influences from that. It's almost like mm-hmm. you, like Lavelle Edwards, Mike Leach, who, by the way, of course, learned his craft originally from Lavelle Edwards, so it's no surprise. But uh, it's interesting versus that long way of saying Washington has two tight ends. They play those two tight ends all the time. They'll also play spread formations. They'll motion Dylan Johnson out of the backfield. Against Oregon, they were going five wide, and Oregon struggled with that. Um, so is there a package from Washington that I fear I'll give you a package and a formation whenever Washington goes three wide bunch trips Mm -hmm. to one side, typically the field side, Mm -hmm. I get worried for Texas. And what is it? Talk, talk a little bit about what worries you about that package? Because I know crossing routes are coming. And sometimes crossing routes against Texas make me sad. Uh, And then I also know that in red zone, and you saw it against Oklahoma State, it was forgotten because we utterly demolished them, right? We gave up three red zone touchdowns, basically blowing coverages against bunch formations or jump balls off of bunch formations. And if you think Oklahoma State's wide receivers can win some jump balls, wait till you see the Huskies. So um, that particular formation concerns me a little. Um, You know, maybe some max protect when they have both their tight ends in and they decide to run a long play action, slow developing play, and we're maybe only rushing four. Uh, that that's, that's a potential for a very clean pocket, easy look, long developing route where they're trying to hit a guy downfield and, you know, our defensive backs had to run with them for a while, or maybe even pass off the receiver, which we don't always do well. So I guess those would be the two that leap to my mind. What do you have in mind for that? Well, first I'd like that you, that you made it specific to personnel and formation, because that's a, a way that one of the ways that Washington's offense sort of their first salvo is that they use personnel and formation to set their weapons up. And they have a lot of fluency, especially their top two receivers between being able to switch to different positions. Um, And what that means is they can take, you know, they can take two tight end sets and they can dictate which matchup they want you to put a Dunze on. Yeah. Um, and, and what that, you know, every defense has some players that you do not want to get isolated in space. And they, they are fairly successful at creating those matchups in most, most of their games. For me, um, you know, I share your concern about trips formations to the field. Uh, I think that we have not had enough coverage adjustments to that, and it's made it a little bit easy for teams to target us um, with that formation. So I think 11 personnel is the most concerning to me. 
um, in that it gives them a guy that they can use as sort of a pivot point so they can go into that bunch formation, which by the way, people say, well, their offensive line ran the ball all over Oregon. If you watch that game, the way that they were successful in the running game is with bunch formations out leveraging Oregon. And it's actually, they're, they're blocking from their tight end and their wide receivers that open that running game up a lot of the time. Um, and so I, I, I think 11 personnel concerns me because it gives them, one, we have struggled with trips to the field at times. And then I also think motions to boundary slot have given us a lot of trouble. And yep. the way that we've matched up with that in the majority of the season has put probably our best, our worst coverage guy, our boundary safety into bad spots. And there's also been bad decisions that have been made at times. So I think, you know, I, for sure we want to talk more about that. Um, but maybe some of what we're describing actually segues a little bit into our interest in another topic. Um, yeah, are you good with just, moving on? Absolutely. You, Quick I, aside on the bunch formation, run formations, which you nailed. Um, very Sean McVay, Rams, Kyle Shanahan, little nod there, which is using your wide receivers as blockers and asking them to not just block DBs, but maybe get in the way of a defensive end just so you can get the corner, right? And yep, your yes, offense... Boise State used to run run that all the time, tight end down. Yep. From bunch and all the time. They, they got, you know, they threatened the alley all the time with that. Play. And, and it's a way to bypass defensive tackles, yeah. or at least ordinary defensive tackles. I think what Washington will find is that Byron Murphy, uh, Collins, Broughton, even Sweat at times early in the drive. They'll pop up in places that defensive tackles aren't supposed to be. And I think they'll be a little surprised by that. Uh, but we, yeah, we'll see. Additionally, we're not shy about, say, taking our buck, putting him right on the head of that spear. Yeah, and driving and the saying, receiver back like yeah. 11 yards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a fun little chess match there. What's, what's our next question? So, you know, uh, I think both of us in different contexts have discussed the, a desire to see a dime package from this Texas defense in the past. And maybe it dovetails with some of the concerns we were just raising about like formations and personnel groupings that have given Texas trouble. But, um, you know, I think one of the things I was interested to hear from you is what specific problems do you think a dime package might help the Texas, Texas defense address? So I think it could be the Goldilocks solution. And, and here's why. I think Texas has a lot of capable defensive backs and maybe only one or two really high-level guys. I consider Jade Barron high-level. Yeah. And I consider our defensive tackles absolutely elite. Our defensive line and our linebackers in, in total – very good as a core five unit. And by what I mean by that is three, three down linemen, two linebackers. I think those five guys can control the line of scrimmage. So then the question is, if you could do that, what would you most optimally want to do personnel-wise to control the Washington passing game? And the answer is flood the secondary with as many guys who can play the ball in the air, defensive backs, or guys who can run in general so that you can have the best of both worlds in coverage. And what I mean by that is you can play both press man, but also still have a two deep shell who effectively have their back if they lose. But you're also not conceding anything. So if you guys will remember, I, I did say you don't want to take too much from the Alamo Bowl. Something you can take from the Alamo Bowl is the patience of Washington, which is, well, they're going to play this certain way. They're going to concede certain routes. We're going to convert 13 of 23 third and fourth downs, and we're going to control the ball for 40 minutes. And we're going to play this ball control 
offense up and down the field and Texas isn't going to see the ball and we're going to take control of the game. So your late rally will all be for naught because we just ran out the clock. We can't allow that, Scott. And you mentioned that in the last podcast. The way you can stop that is by playing up on those guys, putting your hands on them. There's not a lot of teams in the Pac-12 that felt confident doing that to Washington. But imagine being able to do that across the board, underneath, man under, effectively, and still have two safeties standing back there. That's what a dime can do. And the dime piece that I'm thinking of, not the dime piece that I typically refer to when I talk about a dime piece, but the dime piece I'm thinking of specifically in this formation, and, or I should say personnel set, is Ryan Watts. I think you play Brooks and Muhammad out at the corners. Gavin Holmes rotates in with them. Jade Barron's your slot. And then Ryan Watts is your dime sort of blitz piece, run support mm-hmm. piece, double team piece, screen blow up piece. Is he a big and physical enough guy that he'd go fill the alley for you? You know, I'd say yes. So we're saying all this, and I appreciate the question. I think we're trying to will this into existence. And so I'm not sure how much time we want to spend on the theory of the yeah. dime. Uh, I do think there's been enough time in 30 days to install that package and that set. I'm not saying like against every formation known to man, but at the very least as a change up, which I think would be like a substantial, like, holy shit moment for Washington. Like, whoa, like they haven't shown this. What are they doing? Uh, I think it would be interesting. Uh, and I would love it as a change up in this game. And I think it's a great way to cover up some of our deficiencies and throw Washington off for a quarter at least and give our offense the chance to go get some separation. What do you reckon? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, no surprise that adding a player, to the coverage gives you better coverage options. Um, but I wanted to build on what you said specifically about, you know, from a simple numbers perspective, if you sort of think of the offense as having four wide receivers, what going to a dime package allows you to do is play with three, two leverage on both sides of the ball. And so both sides of the formation. And so, you know, I wanted to just build on, that man under, one of the reasons why it would help so much is that we've been playing quarters principle with a specific call to how we handle trips and a specific call to how we handle two receivers to the boundary side pretty consistently throughout the year. And it's been picked on. And one of the problems with that is your leverage is the same over and over again in your, in your coverage. And teams can pick on that. Um, if they know what kind of leverage they're going to get in the coverage, you know, they can call beaters to that. They can put you in spots you don't want to be. Um, so I think man, one of the things that man under does is it gives us the ability to play leverage where we're funneling those receivers toward a safety. We also can play man free easily from that formation. And now our, our leverage is on the other side of the receiver or we can trail technique. So, and then we can also play quarters principles from that look. And so it takes away the de- the offense's ability to make confident throws based on pre-snap reads. To a spot, especially. To a spot. And so against this matchup in particular, it has some advantages. I do think the problem of solving the, the front is a little bit more complicated. And I, but I agree with, if you're gonna do it, that Watts is the right guy where let's say they go 11 personnel and they're in four wide and you want that dime, that dime package is really nice to be able to match up against that. But if they go and they're in three wide, you need that dime to be able to get in the backfield and make a play as the force player. And Watts is probably the best. I think he's probably, he's arguably even, even better than Baron is at that. Yeah, to um, clarify, with the three down linemen for the dime, it needs to be bigs, right? Yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna play this as a true three, like it's a three four concept played with dime personnel. So 
your three down linemen are bigs. I consider Baron Sorrell a guy who can hold up on the on yeah. the in, as a three man front. Uh, for he can for shoot snaps. He can. I mean, he's he's just a tough stud. Um, Burke limited snaps. He'll be fine. Uh, you're going to see a lot of Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, Vernon Broughton, and Alfred Collins. And yep. I never want both Murphy and Sweat off the field at the same time. That's important for that. Um, so now, could Washington go 12 personnel, two tight ends? And could they try to bully Texas a little bit with that personnel group? They could. And so I think that's probably the cutoff point where – you wouldn't you wouldn't put the dime out there, I don't think, against 12 personnel. So one thing in football that's always valuable is you can run at a play or two and find out. You know, I don't I don't think Dylan Johnson is going 70 on us, right? But you can find out because if you can hold up against any package, oh my God, like we're gonna win this game by three touchdowns, right? I mean, if you yeah, if you can, if you can take away explosives in the run game from a dime. Yeah. Then yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a the win best, condition. That's the best case world, which we have seen that successful. Remember the first honeymoon year of Todd Orlando when we yeah. had a bunch of NFL players, Deshaun Elliott, all those guys just controlling. And, you know, Deshaun still, it's the reason he's still in the NFL, a magical ability to support the run from 14 yards deep. And, and hold a running back to a one yard gain. It was like amazing his ability to do that. So uh, the other thing I'm that's gonna... favorable, oh, I'm sorry, just so we don't get caught. No, go ahead. Yeah. Is the substitution rules, which is mm-hmm. when Washington substitutes, we get to substitute. Yep. So you don't want to get caught against Washington when they, if they decide to run some pace on us. You don't want to get caught in any bad formation, right? Because they will make you pay. But the beauty of college defensive rules, as <laughs> substitution rules, as we learned with Mike Gundy's leisurely defensive substitution at the end of the first <laughs> half against Sark. And frankly, he owned Sark on that one. And Sark was immediately pissed when he realized what he'd done, right? Sark knew what he did. Uh, is that when Gundy you has got people with that for like two years now? Gundy's such an asshole. And, and it's why you got to love him, right? He, he did some little wrinkle stuff against A&M the other night that was just hilarious. Um, also, his hair almost taking on like a 1970s perm-like quality now. But we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, I think it's a, it's a cough more than, than I would call it hair. A quaff, a coiffure. A quaff. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is you do have the ability when they make big substitutions to make matching substitutions. So... That's very helpful because back in the day, and I mean like what, two years ago, <laughs> you couldn't and they could just, you're trying to run a guy out there at the last second and there's mass confusion and all that. Uh, so anyway, that's our thought. I think Scott and I be, be trying to will this into existence. Uh, I don't think we're going to do it, but if we did do it, it would be awesome potentially. So, I, I mean, I agree. I don't think we're going to see Don. I don't think it's likely. It's interesting to talk about what it gives us because I actually think, so I'm going to pivot slightly and sort of bring up, we did see the Texas secondary evolve some in the last part of the season. And I'm interested in talking a little bit about that and seeing if if, if we think that there's the potential to get some of the things out of that evolution that we like about the dime. So um, specifically, you know, what did you kind of see in those in those last two games against Tech and Oklahoma State that you kind of noticed was this is different when it comes to Texas Texas's co- approach to coverage, particularly early in those games. Uh, so one thing is I thought they simplified some things a little better. I thought they responded better to motion. I thought. They, I don't want to say, I mean, people always account any success on defense to aggression, right? Mm. But I thought we were more aggressive and simple in some of the things that we did, which benefited us because there was a period of time 
where Texas was putting stuff on film in our defensive backfield from a schematic standpoint and, and coverage and assignment standpoint, that was about as bad as it gets. And I'm talking about parts of Houston. I'm talking about the whole second half against Kansas State. Uh, by the way, I think Texas is making Will Howard a lot of money in the portal because he's like, hey, te- Texas is in the playoff, and look what I did to them in the second half, Ohio State and USC. Um, and, and I think that got cleaned up some, but I, I, I think that it was a, a legitimate improvement and a, addressing of some of the problems. I'm not totally sure we're there yet. I'm not ready to pronounce us whole. Uh, I also think from a personnel standpoint, we realize that Michael Taft is a pretty steady Eddie at safety. He's a stabilizing force. Um, so, you know, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to float another theory to you and kind of see, see how it feels. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that I thought really stood out in that game was that we played we played some man coverage. Um, and we haven't done that very much. Um, and we we more we were more liberal with an adjustment that we've we've done at times all year, but not often, uh, which is responding to motion, as you said, by rolling our safety. So, um, a lot of times our, our response to motion away from the field is that, especially from a slot, Baron will stay in the overhang and just, and then the defense, and then the defense on the boundary side where that motion is moving toward, uh, will be matched up two on two with the corner matching up on the wide receiver. And then they might, and there's different coverage calls they might call from that, but essentially they're two on two in coverage. And the the safety is now matching up with that slot receiver to the boundary from a two deep alignment in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. That specific situation has been problematic, partly because we have been in that coverage too often, but also we're asking something of that boundary safety, which is, to make a flat-footed read and play against a skill receiver in space that they are just not capable of. Um, Even Williams has struggled with that role when he's had it a few times. Um, And so I think that's, you know, what what I saw, though, is that uh, I think there's a couple things that, that contributed to that. One of them is that I think we were not as uh, confident in our wills, our weak side linebackers, having coverage roles beyond just a spot drop. And importantly, we showed against both Tech and Oklahoma State a willingness to give them either a flat roll or to put them in underneath man coverage on a receiver in those man calls. And so um, that can be picked on. I'm not going to say that like, you know, Anthony Hill, for instance, who looked great in that role um, is a replacement for Watson coverage. But I think it does give us some of that underneath leverage that we're looking for that keeps our safety as a safety in those. And I, I think it gives us some options to match up where we can keep that boundary safety in a safety role, which I think they're actually decent at when we put them in that role. It's when we ask them to be both a sort of like pure coverage guy and a safety that they fail. Yeah. I mean, Jaron Thompson, go cover that seven yard out route. That's happening 20 yards from you. Yeah. At the snap of the ball. You know, people, Oh, Jaron Thompson's slow. Well, I'm not going to say he's fast, but I mean, who, who makes that play? Earl Thomas? Yeah. Okay. Quandre, maybe. It's pretty good dudes. <laughs> like, let's, let's, you know, we got to, you got to have some defensive answers that don't require your guy to be uh, a, an NFL stud, right? 
So I think there's a, a good point there. Um, and that's without getting too lost in the weeds or the X's and O's of that, that is the kind of stuff that Washington's going to see on film. And they're going to test us very early on some of those things formationally. And just to see how, how, do, how does Texas respond to this? And that is the beauty of not getting, getting back to our fan fiction, Scott, of the dime, <laughs> yeah. where we will imagine these things to happen. The dime, those sorts of adjustments, you literally can shrug at because you've got extra guys. You've got that three-on-two matchup that you've talked about. You could even carry over Jade Barron if you want. And then Ryan Watts yeah. goes and steps up in his spot, right? Uh, so, and then Ryan Watts might become an extra blitzer. Or he might drop into his own little personal zone and just read the eyes of the quarterback. So uh, just there's all sorts of crazy combo coverages that are weird that you could run out of a dime because you always have that safety blanket, quite literally a safety blanket behind you. And you can do all sorts of cool stuff with your front four DBs and the two linebackers, you know, those six potential coverage guys. By the way, one thing I'd add to that dime, I want one or both linebackers or an overhang, probably a DB blitzing on every down. So the idea of this dime is not to play prevent because I know people are groaning right now. What is a three-man pass rush? Penix will tear that apart, right? Uh, I'm talking about five guys coming on many of these downs backed by six DBs. And that's the interesting formula that I think Texas could offer in, in our final chapter of fan fiction of Texas running a dime <laughs> in the Sugar Bowl. Um, yeah. I, I, so a, a minor point would be, I think even when we're in nickel, if we are willing to have Hill be out in that coverage role, in the at least in the underneath, we get some of that, and essentially we're in a four-one defense against the front. We're undermining the front when we do that by alignment, and we've looked pretty good at it when we've done that. So I think we get a little bit of what we like about the dime, but we don't get the full efficacy of it. Um, and I suspect that's what we will see from, from uh, the Texas so defense in this game. The retort is, you know, Texas does have a de facto dime package. Maurice Blackwell comes out there, right? Again. Full respect to anyone who puts on the helmet and puts Texas on the front and their family name on the back and they go out there and play every Saturday. Blackwell isn't a true linebacker because he's not big enough and he's not a true DB because he's not fast enough. So don't tell me he's a dime. You know, the dime, yeah, no, no. It's... we're talking about Ryan Watts versus Maurice Blackwell as an athlete. And, you know, Ryan Watts is a better athlete in, in all quickness, measurements, speed, etc. So we're talking about a true dime, not some sort of hybridized, you know, we're talking about, let's get a bunch of dudes who can run behind our big, physical, strong, aggressive guys. And the other thing I'll add to this is an addendum. Washington, more than any offense that will play, and this applies to many offenses, but Washington, more than any offense that will play, makes no man's land defenders irrelevant, stupid, and useless. And what I mean by that is if you're not part of the rush or if you're not part of the coverage, you're, you're, we're playing defense with 10 or nine. And there are instances, the very worst of Todd Orlando, when he just tried to put everything on a joystick and, and pre-program every movement of the players – we would have plays where four or five dudes were neither pass rushing nor in coverage. And it's sickening, I, right? I, uh, I get a little bit of shades of frustration with one defense that we run that's similar. And it's basically that three deep uh, under coverage where we drop one or more defensive linemen Yes. zones. We do it with Burke a lot, but we also will do it sometimes with like our interior, like we'll de drop defensive tackles. And, and I realized that like the goal is to sort of make it feel like you, the offense has an opening by alignment and then take that opening away. But 
in this game in particular, though, if we are too liberal with those zone drop looks, uh, it's that's a really bad look against Washington. You can't guard space against Washington. Yeah. And football fields are bigger than you think. And you're not going to guess right. It's, it's what I call electronic battleship. I-9, no hit. Oh, E-3, did I get your cruiser? No, damn. I mean, you call out enough letters and number combinations, you'll get a hit. But all the ones you missed, touchdowns. Yeah, Big I games. don't like that we go to that defense when we're up. Yeah, and by the way, I'm not equating do. Pete Kwiatkowski to Todd Orlando. They're actually completely no, different no, no, no. in their defensive DNA. I'm just, I think what we're trying to reinforce is this game more than any, be covering someone or be attacking Michael Penix. There is no in-between. And I don't give two shits about his scrambles. If he wants to scramble, by all means, Michael Penix, go run for six yards and we'll get yeah. a hit on you. Sounds great. Um, by the way, Michael Penix does not scramble. Uh, he, he retreats, and when he runs, it's like a dialed-up specific deal that they're trying to do, you know, like misdirection or, or you know, a got-to-have-it play. So I do, I do think that we could potentially see an option run for him in the red zone. I guaranteed. Thing that could, yeah. I'd say almost guaranteed. So the, I'd say one thing to look for, Washington – deep red zone or goal to go, say on the eight or nine, right? Your first and goal, second and goal on the eight yard line, you're not powering it in, okay, against Texas. Washington's going to line up in bunch and they're going to throw the ball and look for busts and they're going to have a little option run the, the opposite direction from the bunch strength. And it will probably work is my guess. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that's football. Um, hey, can I jump in with a question, skipping down yeah. our excellent question list? For sure. One of the challenges in the Texas running game this year has been our inability to knock defenders out of the hole with our extra blockers in conjunction with getting push on our combos slash down blocks. Are there differences between blocking the defensive fronts in the Big 12 versus the Pac-12? And do we think the same pattern challenges will persist in this game? Yeah, to put a finer point on that, I think specifically, you know, if we're running left, we have at times struggled with getting push on our down blocks. Specifically, Hayden Connor struggled with that all season. Yep. Um, and then if we're running right, we have struggled with the kickouts going that way. Yes. Um, and so, and Hayden Connors sometimes a part of that equation as well. Uh, not to bag on him, but just he has been a bottleneck in our ability to run this year at times. Well, I, I'll just say it. Uh, Hayden Connors, an out, he's a good to at times outstanding pass blocker mm -hmm. at guard. He is the worst run blocker on the offense. And I'd yep. say by a su substantial margin. And so uh, this kind of goes back to something we were talking about before, but I think, you know, this question about, do we think that same struggle will carry through in this game of um, maybe not getting as much, even despite having a lot of guys who can win blocks in the run game, Still not being able to achieve, you know, open holes consistently. Uh, yeah. So curious, curious your thoughts on that. Texas is not 2022 Michigan, mm -hmm. right? We can't run inside zone on repeat and literally mash Washington and, and just physically abuse them. First of all, for the reasons that I said in the other podcast, Washington Struggles on defense because of a lack of quickness, a lack of twitchiness, a lack of speed. They're not soft. They're not weak dudes if you fire out straight up on them and run right behind, right? That's fine. Because from 21 personnel, from 11, I think we can do some stuff with misdirection. I think we can do some stuff 
with running away from those guys because the big difference between a typical defensive lineman, specifically an interior defensive lineman, and our defensive lineman, and Ollie Gordon found this out in a very frustrating way because he's, a, he's an excellent cutback runner. The cutbacks that he expected to be there weren't there because Byron Murphy was there. He's not used to the backside defensive tackle grabbing the guard, seeing the play, discarding them by throwing them to the ground and then sprinting like a maniac down the line of scrimmage and making a play on the cutback. So that'll be a wake up for Washington. It's a wake up for all the teams we play that try to run the ball. But I think the difference in Washington's defensive linemen is they're, they're fairly tough head up, but they're not covering ground. So I think our run game, it's not necessarily that we run outside, but when we run inside, we need to understand that we need to double team on the interior and then have misdirection behind it to exploit, which I think is one of the bigger Washington deficits, which is their linebackers. Uh, they don't read very well. They're not fluent readers. And sometimes they'll just take off in the wrong direction. And boy, if you got Jaden Blue carrying the ball and you're running duo, right, a double team on that play side defensive tackle, and then you're getting some push. And, and by the way, as, as he's healed up, an underreported aspect of this team, Jake Majors has proven a very valuable puller at center. Uh, he gets out there. <laughs> he, he gets on the move. And that's been valuable. So I think our running game needs to get them moving. That's the key. It's not about hammering them downhill. It's about getting them on the move and then letting superior athletes, whether that's Kelvin Banks, who's got sweet feet, uh, driving one of their edges or one of their smalls, and screening with the Hayden Connor, right? You're not getting a dominating block play side, but he can get in someone's way. And then you let a superior athlete like a Jaden Blue Keelan Robinson with some misdirection behind him, a weird little jet sweep candy going the other way. Let's see if we can get a cutback, a, a missed tackle, which Washington misses 11 a game uh, on average. Let's see if we, we can get our rushing game that way. I don't think it's about this sort of cliched, like Texas needs to just hammer them. Washington is Pac-12 soft. They must just pound them. No, I, I think we need to have a little diversity in our running game little smoke and mirrors and get better athletes out in space against guys who are just aren't as quick. Yeah. Uh, just to build on, uh, mentioned Jake majors recently kind of coming on and I've been someone who's maybe privately been pretty critical of majors in the run game in the past. He has this year, I feel like taken some significant steps forward. Um, and I really liked what I saw. We gashed uh, both Tech and Oklahoma State at times with running that little split zone where they're running kind of an outside zone track on the backside of it to create a crease. And that combo, like the combo of, um, you know, Banks' ability to run that track and get leverage on the backside plus majors being able to get up and cut off pursuit. Um, I think that's that's a play I expect to be successful in this game. Um, because I think inside, uh, they might struggle with the movement uh, from their defensive tackles. And I think their linebackers, as you said, we can use motion to hold them a little bit. And I think we'll be able to get to that second level. So I think I think that's that's a that's a ripe territory in the run game. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I mentioned earlier about maybe being able to run 12 personnel to get leverage on the edges, and uh, you convinced me a little bit in that conversation of thinking about well, we may be able to get some leverage with gap schemes, but do we have enough that we can do well from that group that it stays alive? And so. Maybe good for a play, but not good for a game plan. Agree. Uh, a play that you guys need to run and a call that you need to dial up 
literally dial up is 832-557-1095. Those are the digits of Gabe Winslow. I should actually lie and tell everyone that those are Heidi Klum's digits. That's her phone number. And just see if I can sucker you into using Gabe to get a mortgage when you realize disappointedly that it's a middle-aged man who's really good at mortgages. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Gabe is still beautiful in my eyes. And the reason is because he's damn good at his job. Uh, just so happens Scott has happened has used Gabe before and uh, has uh, good things to say about it. And that has been the case with every Everyone Gets a Trophy listener that I've ever sent to him. And I think I'm bordering on almost having sent maybe almost 100 at this point. Uh, and it's a pretty good track record when you're 100 for 100. Uh, if, if Quinn Ewers goes 100 for 100 passing against Washington, Scott, we win this game, I promise you. Uh, but go for the sure thing. Call Gabe. If you're in the market and you're, you're going with like Chase Bank or Wells Fargo or something, like, dude, you're, you're missing the plot. They don't care about you. Go with a mortgage broker. Go with a guy who's got skin in the game and go with a guy who's really good at what he does and actually cares. Reach him, 832-557-1095. And then in terms of finances from the macro perspective, I want you to call a guy named David McClellan. If you're interested in preserving your wealth, building your wealth, or getting advice on the best ways to utilize your wealth, David is a former national championship swimmer, nay, a multi-national championship swimmer at the University of Texas. He's a partner with Forum Financial Management, a fiduciary registered investment advisor. If you're working with another advisor, chances are their advice is conflicted or very narrow in scope. David is a subject matter expert in almost all areas. Uh, the guy's remarkably bright. He's got a very successful pre-career to this uh, registered investment advisor career, uh, working for executive roles with Morningstar and Persian uh, financial firms that you may have heard of. And if you haven't, look them up. Uh, David works broadly and deeply with you, providing fiduciary advice wherever money touches your life. Specifically, if you've got some money and you're within 10 years of retirement, if you don't call David at 312-933-8823, I think you're frankly doing yourself a disservice. Uh, he is a white paper subject matter expert. This is a guy that national publications go to to write multi-part series explaining the implications of your retirement tax bomb. It's wonderful to read commercial press. It's wonderful to read some articles and, and educate yourself. The nuances to money management are vast. And you think you can do it yourself? I'm not sure you can do it yourself. At the very least, call David, get a free consultation, and find out if you're making the right moves or what he'd adjust. 312-933-8823. Speaking of adjustments, Scott, we well, have done another... I want to give a footnote out there for anyone listening, which is that if you've ever heard Paul give like a witty transition into an ad, which I feel like he specializes in, and you're wondering, can you see that idea baking in his head <laughs> like an easy bake oven? The answer is yes. I believe that I'm a high end uh, double oven that can go up to. 4,000 degrees Kelvin, not a holly hobby oven, as you've suggested, but I'll take any sort of jewels or energy that I can get. So I appreciate it. Uh, yes, indeed. I do look for keywords to seize upon and try to create a transition. Uh, it's how I keep myself amused. Uh, you know, the fact is when Scott's speaking, what am I going to do? What's my alternative? Listen to him. That's boring. Yeah. You got to go to the other place and just wait for it to end. I I wait for Scott's mouth to stop moving, and then I talk about what I want to talk about. That's how, that's how you have a good conversation. I think that was the key to the Algonquin Roundtable, Dorothy Parker, etc. That's what they. That's how they operated. Uh, Scott, we have once again uh, kicked ass, taken names. I hope, and I think done justice to this matchup. I think we may even have more yet to clean up. And we might do that with a big picture, hey, here's a few things to look for, here's a few talking points. But what we have tried to do is delve down deeply into some of the nuance and some of the game within the game that I think will determine this matchup beyond the three color announcer keys to the game. Quinn Ewers must be the guy, you know, whatever type graphic that they throw up. 
Uh, Quinn Ewers cannot throw three interceptions and win this game. Well, thank you for that deep insight, right? Uh, so that was our hope and our best ambition with this podcast. Uh, and I think on that note, we're going to try to wrap this up. Scott, is there anything we want to put a pin in? And maybe I can appeal to you and we can do a final wrap up. No, I mean, I, I agree. And I know we can be a little bit lost in the details, but I think uh, taking a step out and us talking at a high level and maybe giving some keys to a matchup that people can actually watch for and come away with like a salient understanding of what's happening and how's this shaking out beyond just is one team scoring more points. Well, truth is, if you're not someone who enjoys that, you've already turned us off. And if you're someone who has, then great. We'll, we'll give you a little more, but maybe we'll give you some broader bullet points on our final conclusion, uh, con- concluding podcast. Uh, I will say this. The purpose of my podcast has never been, frankly, to appeal to the broadest possible audience. Uh, McDonald's is very good at what they do. God bless them. Uh, their goal is to serve a lot of people uh, quickly. Sometimes there's some value to going and eating at a nice restaurant. And uh, my goal is to narrowcast, not necessarily broadcast. So I'm looking for like-minded people who find the same things interesting that I do. And uh, one of the things that all of our sponsors have mentioned that I always appreciate is the people that I send them, they're always like, these are very impressive people, uh, really interesting people that you're sending. You know, Thanks. Uh, and so I can only thank you guys for being intrepid listeners, supporting this podcast. And one way you can really help me, and this is the, the guilt uh, blackmail portion of the pod, is just go subscribe, like, and review. It makes a big difference. And I do a terrible job asking you guys to do that. But when you do do it, you come out in force. You represent the EGAT listeners are phenomenal in that regard. So I thank you for doing that, particularly at Apple and Spotify or wherever you happen to listen. I think those are the two big gorillas now, Scott. I don't think there's a lot of people listening on Overcast anymore. But uh, you know, if you are, if you are, God bless you. Review it there for the other 19 people. Uh, but nonetheless, those of you who do give five stars, write something nice. Uh, I really appreciate it, not only because of how it helps us, but also because it helps us move up the rankings. And random folks can organically discover us, and you've given them a little gift for the holidays. So thank you for your support. Thanks for being Texas Longhorns. The good times are here, folks. And uh, we're going to try to enjoy them as much as they can, as much as we can. And uh, we appreciate that you're along for the ride. So for Scott Gerlach, the alpaca, I am Paul Wappington saying, welcome. Do you need a realtor in Central Texas? Of course you do. We all need a realtor in Central Texas, even those of us who live in Dallas or Houston or San Francisco or Denver, Colorado. You need to go to Central Texas anyway. And the reason is Laura Baker is a fantastic realtor. She's great at what she does. She's a member of the elite Andy Allen team for Keller Williams. You can reach her at 512-784-0505. Talk with Laura. If you're thinking about putting your house on the market, this is a great time to get market comps. Uh, If you're looking to buy in the market, you need all the help you can get. Call Laura and it's 512-784-0505. Interest rates are up and the market is tumultuous. And now more than ever, you need the best darn possible mortgage broker working on your behalf. That's Gabe Winslow. And you can reach him at 832-557-1095. Or you can go to mortgagesbygabe.com. What makes Gabe so unique? Well, he's incredibly bright. He's a UT grad. He's got a law degree. He's been in the mortgage industry for over 20 years, and he is a true mortgage broker. What does that mean? It means he can shop for the best deal at over 80 different lenders and find you the terms that best suit you. Most mortgage guys you talk to won't reveal that they have exactly one size fits all for you and exactly one conduit to get your loan. If you are in these hyper-competitive markets and you're in these markets that are frankly gotten a a lot less friendly to the consumer, you need the best possible person working on your behalf. That's Gabe Winslow. He has our full endorsement. You can reach him at 832-557-1095. Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours. And that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Foreign Financial. 
David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now, he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, that's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call.